heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. You know, the one thing I'll say to you up front, uh, my fellow Americans, is this. I don't think any of us thought that this pandemic would be going on this long. I mean, we thought maybe a year, year and a half, and here we are. Uh, we're now, what, coming into a couple of years into this thing, and now with the Delta variant and what has happened across the, around the world, actually, and across our great nation. Uh, you, there are a lot of questions, and a lot of people uh, are looking for answers. Now, I know that because the outpouring of, of questions and comments on our platform is off the charts. Make no mistake about it. We're going to answer a lot of those questions today. We won't get to all of them. We'll have other opportunities to do that. But we're going to answer many of them today with Dr. Peter McCullough. Let me say to you, you know, that uh, God willing, we're in the last, I hope and pray to God, we're in the last year of this crazy thing here, this pandemic uh, extraordinaire. But, you know, I, I was looking earlier at what happened in 1917 and 1918 and 1919. And I have to tell you, it was about a three year cycle almost that it took the country to get through that. I'm guessing that's potentially the same thing here. Uh, I, I, again, I, I don't really know, but I, I'm guessing that may very well be the case. Let me share with you up front that I just experienced COVID myself personally, and my wife did as well. And I will tell you, we have a whole new appreciation for what this does to the human body. Never in my wildest dreams could I have imagined what we would have gone through. Uh, I, I just, and I've been reporting on this from the very beginning. Uh, when the actually before 2020, at the end of 2019, when we heard the signs of what was happening in Wuhan, China. And I will tell you, uh, this thing just devastates your body. It destroys your body. And, and I will also tell you right up front here, we almost lost my wife. I mean, she was inches from being put on a ventilator in a medical coma. She was in ICU. We fought very hard to give her early treatment, ivermectin, HCQ, uh, prednisone, all the steroids, the regimen that Dr. McCullough and the frontline doctors have talked about routinely. And by the grace of God, we were able to save her. And I tell you, the doctor in the ICU said this to me. He said, this is when she was admitted to ICU because her oxygen levels were way too low. We couldn't sustain her anymore at home. And he said this to me, he said, sir, uh, it is your wife is very critical uh, uh, care here. And I don't know that she's going to make it. Uh, we're going to put her on what's called the heated high flow. It'll put 60 liters of oxygen all around her body. And if she responds to that, we hope and pray she does, but she may not. In which case we would have no other recourse to, but to put her on a ventilator. And I need you to know that right now. And so at that point, my fellow Americans, I prayed to God that we would get her through this. And I was scared as scared could be. 
Uh, Dr. Peter McCullough now joins me. Uh, Dr. McCullough is an uh, academic internist, cardiologist, and epidemiologist from Dallas, Texas. Uh, he surely is considered among the world's top experts on COVID-19 pandemic response. His show, The McCullough Report, can be heard right here on America Out Loud, 2 p.m. Saturday and Sunday, and an encore at 7. Uh, his work has been tremendous and is being felt all around the world, uh, and we are blessed to have him here uh, on, uh, on this platform and surely here on The Voice of a Nation. Uh, welcome to the program here, Dr. McCullough. Well, Malcolm, thanks for having me on the show. It's wonderful to be on the other side of the microphone. It's particularly gratifying to hear how good you sound compared to how sick you were weeks ago. And thank goodness that both you and your wife received early treatment, the best we could do, uh, including what could be done up front in the hospital to avoid the ventilator or worse. Yeah, well, you were a godsend. Uh, we talked often throughout this ordeal, and uh, I was very blessed to have the best doctors and care and uh, prescriptions and meds that we needed. And, uh, you know, it's a very scary thing. It's a very, and you don't really appreciate this until you've gone through it. And, you know, one of the references, I talked about this on the weekend on Viewpoint, uh, Dr. McCullough, is, you know, one of the things that really has begun to bother me a bit is when people say, and, I, and I've heard a lot of these expressions actually, oh, this is nothing more than the common cold or, or the flu. This is not the common cold or the flu. This is designed to destroy your body. Talk about that a moment. I completely agree. And what I want you to tell the listeners is, can you imagine if you and your wife received no treatment whatsoever, that you completely shut down on treatment and you had to stay at home by yourselves with not an ounce of care or compassion where would you and your wife have ended up without any of that pre-hospital care? See, that's it. That's exactly it. And I want everybody to hear what Dr. McCullough says there, please, because, you know, let me say this. Dr. McCullough, you've been telling me that now for almost two years, and others on our platform, other MDs and other high-level folks have been telling me about early treatment. And I've been hearing you, and I've been reporting on it, but I have to tell you honestly, I really didn't appreciate what you meant. I, I know what you meant, but I could not have appreciated what you meant by early treatment. And you know this because we talked even when I was trying to get the ivermectin into my wife, Dee, and she was very, very ill. Her oxygen levels were dropping. And I really could not have appreciated this, having not gone through it, what really early treatment meant. But you know what? You've been on the front lines of this thing for moment one, and you have been saying and preaching early treatment, early treatment, early treatment, just as the frontline docs have been doing. And it makes a difference of life and death, doesn't it? It does. And I can tell you, it's kind of scary to say this, but I don't think you or your wife would be alive today without early treatment. I think you both had severe cases. I have a tremendous respect for this Delta variant now. And I tell you, I personally and professionally underestimated it as it took off. It is difficult to treat. It clearly is a substantial and fortified uh, version of SARS-CoV-2 and its outcomes are devastating. Even to you know, healthier, younger people like you, can you imagine if you were a senior citizen who had heart and lung disease, and yep. then you took this illness on top, you yep. wouldn't last very long. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Peter, I don't smoke. Uh, my immune system is very healthy. I, I, I walk every day, as you know, lifestyle wise and all of that. And it still hit me like a ton of bricks, sapped all my energy, knocked me down, ran me over. I couldn't even think straight, you know, because we talked and I sounded like hell, didn't I? 
you know, when this you, was going You did. And, and I tell you, sadly, my wife and I went to a funeral of a 38-year-old man who died. He only got three days of early treatment. We got a late start. We could not get things organized. Uh, he went into the hospital within four days. He died. He left sm four, four small children. Uh, we're absolutely heartbroken. We have so many people in our circles now sick with COVID-19. I can tell you, we need to get into these questions and help as many yes. people as we can. Yes, let's do it here. Uh, I want to start with this initial one, uh, Dr. McCullough, that uh, I think is very important. Uh, a lot of people are really concerned with uh, having had COVID-19 and then the health agencies and the hospitals and a lot of doctors are still saying you need to get vaccinated. In fact, they're pushing it and they're saying that your antibodies are not going to last and that 90 days uh, later, you need to get vaccinated. And they get a little tough on that point. What do you say to that? If it was possible to get COVID-19 over and over again, Malcolm, we would have seen it sweep through the nursing homes over and over again. We see the same people getting COVID over and over again. And the listeners know that that doesn't happen. Uh, it's one and done. We have 15 studies supporting natural immunity is robust, complete, and durable. You don't get the illness over and over again. The only point of confusion are these intermittently positive uh, testing. Now, if you and your wife went for testing right now, you'd probably be positive to tell you the truth. You're intermittently positive for months afterwards, but you only have the clinical illness once. Uh, the antibodies wane in everybody. They're not going to be measurable in six to nine months. It doesn't matter. Your immune system is robust and immune. It'll reawaken itself when you're exposed to COVID-19 again. You won't get it a second time. I've personally come face to face with red hot COVID patients right in my face, no masks, no protection. I can't get COVID-19. Because like you, I'm now COVID recovered. So you can only get it the one time. And some doctors will argue this with me and say that you can get it a different time. And I like what you just said about the test. You might get a positive test or this or that, but that doesn't mean you get it a second time. You're, you're sure about this? I'm certain. You know, Cleveland Clinic, Shretha and colleagues published the Cleveland Clinic workforce who are naturally immune because they're COVID recovered, they didn't take the vaccine. They go out into the workforce. They faced COVID again, not a single second case. Again, 15 supportive studies. Every time somebody brings forward a case where they think they got it a second time, we're talking one out of billions of people on earth. Somebody thinks they found somebody who got a second case. I look at it carefully and it's always a misinterpretation of all right. All right. Let me get to the Q&A now with Serena. And I'm only going to use first names here, uh, but Serena, so you can identify when you're listening uh, that this was your question. Uh, she says, I just saw your informative interview on Flashpoint News. Thank you for getting the word out, Dr. McCullough. I've already had COVID-19. And when I gave blood, I was positive for COVID-19 antibodies, as well as positive for antibodies on the second test for COVID. My question is this, if I have the antibodies, would I be safe from the COVID variant? Regardless, I'm trusting the Lord. I will not separate myself from my vaccinated children and grandchildren, as well as other family and friends. And, and here's a point uh, that she says I want to make sure we get out. She says, sadly, my vaccinated loved ones believe that my husband and I are a threat to them and that our antibodies are meaningless. That's they've been brainwashed with the media, Peter. So what do you say with her question up front about the antibodies and it, her specific question, if I have the antibodies, would I be safe from the COVID variant? So a COVID recovered patient that hits one of the conventional antibody tests that, you know, Quest uh, Diagnostics, LabCorp, uh, Roche, Abbott, 
orthoclinical diagnostics, that is a proxy for someone who has complete, robust, and durable immunity. It means you also have T-cell immunity. And the library of antibodies in the natural infection are against all components of the virus. That's very different from the vaccine. The vaccine is a very narrow library of antibodies, uh, virtually no T-cell response, and the, the vaccine only gives antibodies against the spike protein. And so when the spike protein changes, the vaccine doesn't cover it. But in natural immunity, even if the spike protein uh, changes and there's variants, the natural immunity always covered it. So I personally had the British variant last fall. I've come face to face with Delta now, right in my face. Never, haven't gotten it. I can't get it. So it's complete, robust, and natural immunity. The relatives are incorrect. The, the vaccinated relatives, they're still at risk. The naturally immune relatives are fine. So if you've had COVID and with those antibodies, I've heard you say this before, what you just said, you're actually safer and in better position than someone who's had the vaccine. Right, because uh, the CDC has logged now uh, over 20,000 vaccine failures on the CDC website, right. including half of them were hospitalized. Many died. The vaccine has great numbers of failures in the United States. And during that time period, the CDC can't find a single case of natural immunity failure. Wow. All right. This one comes from Kim. And Kim says, my husband and I are just recovering from COVID. We are unvaccinated and also both had the monoclonal antibody infusions during our illness. We understand this is unknown as to how the infusions will affect our future antibody response to any future COVID, or if we decide to be vaccinated, if that would, if that would be dangerous to us after having had the infusions. We also understand, see, she's got a lot of misinformation right up here, Dr. McCullough, is what I'm reading here. There's a lot of bad information out there. She finishes here. We also understand that we are to wait at least 90 days, what did I say, before even considering the vaccine. Thank you for any input thoughts you might have regarding this. I am 67 and hubby 65. We were able to stay at home with this, but it was horrendous. Uh, she took ivermectin, zinc, all the stuff, she says, by the way, we were on that, which is what we were on, in fact. Um, so there's a lot of bad information here. And she's saying, we also understand, wait at least 90 days. Is there, here's what, based on Kim's uh, thoughts there, is there a danger? I understood or heard somebody say that if you had the vaccine after having it, there could be a danger to your body even. Is that accurate or not? Well, her, both her and her husband received state-of-the-art care. They're, they're in their upper 60s, and they survived at home without hospitalization. That's absolutely terrific. Monoclonal antibodies, ivermectin, the sequence drug approach. Now, when she has, they have the infection, and they have natural immunity, everything I just said on the prior response applies. They have complete, robust, and durable immunity. The vaccination is irrelevant for them. They don't need the vaccination. Uh, they, they already have complete, robust, and durable immunity. It doesn't matter how the original uh, uh, virus was uh, treated. They have that robust immune response. Now, if they decide to take the vaccine, and by the way, the FDA doesn't think COVID recovery patients should take the vaccine. The FDA excluded these patients from the registrational trials of Johnson & Johnson, Moderna, and Pfizer. So it's important. Look at the clinical trials. Someone like that couple right there, Malcolm, they would be excluded from the trials. That is a strict heart exclusion, no vaccine for them. There are three studies, Raw, Kammer, and Methodius show that when a COVID recovered patient takes the vaccine anyway, because they felt pressured into it, what have you, they have higher rates of side effects, including serious ones that land them in the hospital. 
Wow. That's what I wanted to hear right there. So folks who hear what Dr. McCullough says there, that's vitally important. Uh, so you could end up in the hospital with uh, many serious side effects and you don't want to do that. So this inflammation where they're pushing the vaccine, even after they haven't had COVID, is complete nonsense and it needs to stop. Uh, now, here's another one from Stephen. Uh, he says this, I've heard Dr. McCullough talk about the T-detect test for T-cell immunity to the SARS-CoV-2 virus. I live in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. As far as I can tell, I can't get T-detect outside the US. For now, vaccine passports aren't being pushed in Alberta, but we are seeing it in various parts of Canada already. I have a suspicion that I contracted the virus in early 2020 before testing became available, and I may have T-cell immunity. I wanna be able to opt out of mandated vaccination, and I believe having proof of T-cell immunity may be a strategy to combat these mandates and passports. Can someone help me please get a T-detect test? Can you let me know, Dr. McCullough, how to get this? I appreciate any help you can offer me. Um, the T-detect website gives information about two options. Um, you go online, you sign in, the medical director approves your case, and then you can either have a phlebotomist come to your house for a charge or go to LabCorp for a blood draw. It'd be wonderful if this could be offered in Canada. Go to the T-Detect website and ask about Canadian services. Now, regarding passports, all the passports that I've seen are only three months in duration. So you're granted some type of privilege in traveling uh, based on vaccine status, but then after three months, we don't know what's going to happen. It, to me, that's a pretty short period of time for a passport. Uh, usually, you know, a, a government issue passport, you know, it gives you uh, travel privileges for international travel, at least for 10 years. Three months passport doesn't seem like much. We have demand letters into the CDC demanding recognition of natural immunity. The CDC has not responded for months. The city state of Monaco recently has uh, recognized natural immunity, which is wonderful. It means that you know, that's again, natural immunity is better than the vaccine immunity. Why would it not be recognized? Uh, I understand Israel is considering natural immunity for its passport system. I recently did a commentary for the National Football League, and I told the National Football League they should get a um, inventory of their naturally immune players and start to figure out their game plan because the vaccinated players and the unvaccinated players are almost destined to get some COVID-19 during the season. Okay, Corey has a question, uh, says, I've got 15 years in the military and I'm concerned they'll force me out if I continue to not get the vaccine. Fact sheets or packages with references and hyperlinks to the CDC data from reputable doctors may help. Can you help me with this? So this is a military person, Dr. McCullough, who's worried about being forced out with the vaccines and looking for more information. Is there information like that that would help these military people? There's a whole variety of uh, vaccine exemption and also freedom of choice websites. I think one of the leading ones is called Liberty Council. Liberty Council. And they have, it's headed up by um, uh, attorney Matt Staber, who's a real leader. I have to tell you, I'm very impressed with this person. Uh, they have won multiple cases across the country, largely based on freedom of choice. And uh, I know the military, there are cases being filed right now with the courts, and we're hoping there will be fairness in the courts regarding a freedom of choice for the military. Uh, the military, uh, keep in mind, COVID-19 is a very small risk for the military. Uh, suicide 
by uh, comparison is a much bigger issue than COVID-19 deaths. And a huge number of the military are already naturally immune. So we need the military to recognize naturally immune, and then the military should uh, uh, back down on any mandate and simply have COVID-19 vaccine as an option, uh, but not mandatory. All right, excellent. Uh, we'll put again those links in the post to libertycouncil.com. Let me move on to Kathleen, because there's a lot of questions to get to here. She, she says this, I am up against the clock. My daughter's religious exemption was denied, and she is adamant about going to college. She took last year off due to COVID. She is supposed to leave this weekend and said she is just going to get the J&J today. Um, if you get this in a timely fashion, can you send me any information on how the J&J is working in the body? Is it causing simula ADE? Her school gave her one more chance to send in a religious exemption, but we are running out of time. Uh, their, their decision with the ramification being something she has to live with. This is madness, she says. So Kathleen's asking about the J&J and what to do because of college. Again, I think one a great resource is Liberty Council. There's also uh, Health Defense, but Liberty Council has taken the lead with the colleges. Uh, Matt Staver just gave a seminar on this recently, and his advice to the students is you take it right down to the very end and go ahead and have Liberty file a dispute with that office at the college and then show up to college anyway with the religious exemption under dispute. A college cannot use their decision-making to decide the validity of a religious exemption. That's only in the eyes of the person making the uh, d disclosure. So it, 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 that has to be a, a, a closely held religious belief and a college has no right to deny you your expression of your religious beliefs with respect to vaccination. So I would show up to school anyway and get Liberty Council. This idea of taking any vaccine because of social reasons is not acceptable. The FDA has official warnings on J&J, &J, official warnings in women ages 18 to 49 for blood clots. And the blood clots occur in the brain and elsewhere, Malcolm, and we just can't uh, take the vaccine for social reasons. Uh, that's causing great harm in our country. Uh, you can't hardly say it better than that when you hear Dr. McCullough say, you cannot do this for social reasons. Please be careful, uh, my friends, please. My daughter is 19 and she's been doing college through online because of the COVID, but now she's looking to go into uh, the dormitory come January, uh, Dr. McCullough, and they're forcing her with the same thing and we will not uh, subscribe to this and we will not do the vaccines. We're having the same problems here. Everybody's having Ma it. Ma Malcolm, we have close friends up in Michigan and the same thing happened to uh, a girl starting at Michigan State and she went through the whole thing. It was agonizing. She took the vaccine. She went through all the risk of the vaccine. She felt horrible. Her parents were outraged. And you know what Michigan State does? They made classes online and they didn't, they're not having in-person in, in classes anyway. So it was all for waste. Yeah. Your health and well-being comes first, obviously. So that's the way it's got to be. All right, let me get to Barbara. She says, I work for Los Angeles County uh, DPSS. They mandated the vaccine. I do not think this vaccine is safe. I do not want to get it. They are talking about weekly testing, but that has not been finalized. Where can I find supporting peer-reviewed journals, the names and where your published works are? I'm especially interested in your treatment protocols for C19 and your nutraceuticals profile for treatment and prevention. 
Okay, so let's just take uh, some peer-reviewed support for the vaccines not being safe enough to mandate. Uh, I'll refer you to Bruno and colleagues, and the paper is in preprint format on Authoria. I will send the link to that. Uh, That is very good support that the vaccines uh, are not safe to mandate. We have um, all of our early treatment protocols and prophylaxis on truthforhealth.org, truthforhealth.org. Go to the um, pull-down menu on treatment protocols, and uh, it's very reasonable to uh, go on a prophylactic protocol, at least with oral nasal hygiene, with a dilute betadine, that's a recent update. So betadine or pavidone iodine, very dilute, a few drops in a juice glass, swish and spit twice a day, and then nasal swabs or nasal spray twice a day. That cuts down the viral uh, load. The virus is in the mouth and nose, by the way, for days before it goes into the body. So you can actually neutralize it uh, that way. And then the active treatment protocols are there. The vaccine mandate, again, should be resisted with full medical and religious exemptions. Medical exemptions can be simply on the basis that the vaccines aren't safe. And we've had over 545,000 Americans injured by the vaccine, over 13,000 who have died after the vaccine is clearly not safe. Wow, it's incredible numbers. Um, Let me get to David here. He says, hello, I'm an employed firefighter paramedic for a very large city in California. While we are fighting vaccine mandates, I am probably going to be fired October 1 if I don't get vaccinated. I was initially going to let myself get fired, but my personal convictions and faith are leading me to believe that I should that I should risk my health to remain as a light in this department and provide for my young family. Could you give me guidance on to which vaccine I should take if I must take one? I'm not afraid of immediate death, but I'm concerned about long-term health effects, specifically reproduction health. I can give my health history if needed, but I'm a healthy 40-year-old male with a mild heart to murmur and no other significant history, not currently taking any meds. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. So this is a cat, David, who is being pressured to take the vaccine against every part of him. And now he's thinking about maybe taking it and wants to know which one and what to do. Can you believe this? You know, I think the estimates are about 40% of America is going to lose their job in the next couple months. So the question is, can the whole country go on with uh, 40% of America losing their jobs? Now, Matt Staver at Liberty Council says you take it all the way to the very end and you don't quit before that time and you actually have to let them wrongfully terminate you and then make the case. Just to update, go to openvaers.com, openvaers.com and slash COVID hyphen data. I'm looking at the information now. 623 341 certified reports of injuries, 13,627 deaths. Uh, it is extraordinary. Over 200,000 hospitalization, urgent care visits, and hospitalization visits. Recent internet survey shows 12% of Americans know somebody in their circles who's died of the COVID-19 vaccine. He should be worried about immediate death of the COVID-19 vaccine. You can't be a light for your department if you haven't made it through the COVID-19 vaccine or if you're permanently disabled or injured. There are 17,794 permanently disabled or injured individuals. One of the special risks for a male is myocarditis or heart inflammation. I've seen this in my practice. I've reported right now the CDC is up to 5,093 cases of myocarditis. The typical drug, just so you know, is removed from the market at 50 deaths, 
50 deaths, that's an unsafe drug. Unsafe. We're at 13,627 deaths. I don't think there is a safe strategy to navigate here. We don't take unsafe vaccines for employment or social reasons. I talked about those numbers you just mentioned on the weekend on Viewpoint this Sunday. Uh, the, the 50 is the, is the uh, historical uh, barometer used to remove something that causes deaths. And this thing is already in the stratosphere uh, and, and, and it's still being pushed heavy, which leaves a lot of people uh, questioning things. That w- web link, again, you just said, I'm writing it down here, openvers.com forward slash COVID what? Your COVID hyphen data. So open VARS.com forward slash COVID hyphen data. Thank you that so is much. A, that's an overlap. Uh, that's an overlay that pulls data out of the VARS system. We rely on it for safety. This, by the way, this safety scoreboard and the safety report to this day, our government has not given a single press briefing on vaccine safety, not a single press briefing on vaccine efficacy. These should have been occurring weekly or monthly. If our government's going to ask us to take a vaccine, they have to tell us how the vaccines are doing. Um, I had a conversation with some leaders in the financial industry this week, and I can tell you one of the things they asked me is, Dr. McCullough, what's the best vaccine? We've had three vaccines in use for eight months. There must be one that's best. Uh, how can we use the best one safely enough? I told them, I said, I can't tell you because our government's giving us no transparency on efficacy or safety, and we can't accept products when they won't do that. Amen. Yeah. Uh, let me get to Ellen here. Uh, a very short comment, a question. She says, my daughter's uh, psychiatrist told her he will not see her unless she gets the vaccine. We're in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Can you advise me? Hmm. Get another that's, psychiatrist, huh? That's vaccine discrimination. And um, there are some laws uh, coming into play. We have an executive order in Texas that in government offices, we cannot have vaccine discrimination. Uh, that uh, should be considered illegal. Uh, there is a law called GINA, GINA, that's Genetic Information Non-Disclosure, uh, Non-Discrimination Act. So that doctor is violating GINA. Don't forget the people who took the vaccines, their genetic information is changed because they're, genetic, they're, they're genetically uh, modified gene transfer therapy. So she has a variety of laws She needs to go back to that doctor and say, listen, I am requesting standard care, standard psychiatric care. That's it. I'm also I'm requesting. And that if they overlay this demand to be vaccinated with an investigational vaccine that's not effective and not safe, then that is grounds for what's considered um, a failure to treat. And we have an either either malpractice, abandonment or gene law uh, um, um, violations. And, and there really ought to be a tremendous shame for the doctors who do that. Okay. Well, let me tell our listeners, we are talking with Dr. Peter McCullough here. Uh, we're doing something very unique, uh, Q&A. We won't get to all of them today, but we're going we're gonna to make a good dent here. Uh, and uh, so I, I want to, before we pause a moment, I just want to take a moment to reset things with you all out there. Uh, this show, if you're hearing this on America Out Loud Talk Radio, uh, on the Voice of a Nation here, uh, it will also go to podcasts. So you can hear this on podcast networks worldwide, America Out Loud Podcast Network, or right at the front page there of AmericaOutloud.com. Uh, we are on the front lines here. Uh, we are really trying to help as many people as we can. Uh, we're blessed to be able to be in a position to help folks. 
And uh, there's so much outpouring and questions and comments coming to our network that uh, we're doing our best to keep up with it all. Now, if you have a question uh, that you need answered or something that is vitally important to you, you can absolutely do that and send it in to us. If you go to americaroutloud.com, right at the nav bar, it says contact. And if you hit that, you can put your question right in there, or you can just email it to talk at americaoutloud.com. We'll also get here. Uh, so I also want to mention to you all uh, that uh, one of our uh, incredible national sponsors I want to bring to your attention is Healthy Cell. And Healthy Cell is a phenomenal product. It's a, ge it's a gel. So you can easily just uh, take the gel right from the package. So easy to go if you're on the travels or however busy you are. Or you can put it in water or yogurt or ice cream or whatever you want to do. But it's incredible. It gets to the health of your cells. Uh, because like with COVID, for instance, I'll give you an example. Having a healthy immune system is vital. vital. That's why they always take, say, take zinc, take D, take, you know, A, all those C, all those vitamins are so essential. Well, here's the thing. A lot of vitamins don't get into your system the way they need to because really the vitamin industry hasn't been updated since the 1930s. This product gets right in there as a gel form. Uh, and so it's vitally important. They have also a product called Immune Super Boost, uh, which has the zinc and the D and the A and the echinacea and all of that in there. It's like a COVID uh, 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 care package or whatever you want to call it there. Uh, they have REM sleep focus. It's, it's an incredible line of products. I've been taking Healthy Cell for three and a half years myself. Uh, they're a terrific uh, product here. Uh, so check them out, healthycell.com forward slash out loud, or just click the banner ad back at americaoutloud.com. And by the way, 20% off your first order uh, for our listeners only. Uh, just use the code out loud or click the banner here and you're entitled to that. And thank you uh, always for listening and being part of that. We're going to take a quick pause here. We'll be back with Dr. Peter McCullough in just a moment here on The Voice of the Nation. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. This is Dr. Peter McCullough. Do you know there's no other condition that I'm aware of where vitamins and supplements make such a big difference than COVID-19? We have a, an abundance of data that we need to be replete with a variety of micronutrients, and that includes vitamins, minerals, and other substances our bodies need. I rely on Healthy Cell Super Boost. That's Immune Super Boost. It's a, a gel pack that can be taken every day. I like to do it before I exercise and before I go out. It's a wonderful supplement. It gives me the immune super boost that I need. Go to HealthyCell.com, use the promotional code OUTLOUD and get a discount on your first order. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Each of us is born with 30 trillion cells that make us. These cells determine how we feel, perform, sleep, focus, and how long we live. And to live our best life, all we have to do is feed ourselves. But most food and supplements don't reach our cells, keeping us from reaching our full potential. Make every cell count with Healthy Cell. Founded with a mission to empower people to take control of their own health at the most fundamental level, Dr. Vincent Jampapa, world-renowned cell researcher and medical doctor, created supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, 
focus deeper, and stay younger longer. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. And that's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L. And use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. We join you back here on The Voice of a Nation. It is yours truly, Malcolm Outloud is here and happy to be with you. After just getting back from my own COVID experience, and boy, I'll tell you what, it was an eye-opener for sure. We're thrilled today to be talking with Dr. Peter McCullough. Uh, Dr. McCullough's articles and his uh, podcast and his radio show and all and his videos for that matter as well. All of that can be found back at americaoutloud.com. Just go up to the nav bar and uh, under our team and click Dr. Peter McCullough or go to shows and click the McCullough report and you'll get a lot of information, a lot of insight. A lot of people uh, are in need of that information. We're going to get right back to the Q&A here with Dr. McCullough because there's a lot of people who need information. Like Sheila, she says, Dr. McCullough, I need your help. I am a gastronologist uh, nurse, a gastronologist nurse from Sacramento. Am I saying that right? I believe so. Probably a gastroenterology. Yeah. Nurse. Okay. I am 56 years old and I am being mandated to get the vaccine. I had a deadline for a medical exemption request that was August 23rd. However, I may still be able to turn uh, after the fact. I didn't realize I could get a medical exemption for being a COVID recovered patient and have no success in getting a doctor who will sign one for me. I heard you talk in Flashpoint on the Victory Channel and I'm even more concerned of being forced to get one or lose my job. Can you assist me in any way? I think it's legitimate. I think everybody has a medical exemption under the possibility of severe allergic reaction, uh, the CDC has told us 25,921 individuals have had severe allergic reactions and they can't be predicted. These vaccines have polyethylene glycol in them. Uh, About 75% of the public is actually uh, primed and somewhat allergic to PEG. Uh, In addition, uh, individuals who are allergic from other vaccines and have had bad reactions, it's only gonna be much, much worse with these vaccine. So I think the immediate allergic reaction risk is real. And the idea that you're COVID recovered, that brings into various federal and state laws. And the state laws say that the only way anything can ever be mandated is if someone's in imminent threat with disease. And the example is like active TB. If someone comes in with tuberculosis and they're coughing all over the office, they can be uh, removed or uh, interventions can be done. But a COVID recovered patient can not, they can never give COVID to another patient. It's never happened. It's never been demonstrated that a COVID recovered patient has ever created any risk whatsoever, zero. And so I think that ought to be used as a medical exemption because as I've mentioned, three studies, raw, camera, and methodius show that if a COVID recovered patient is needlessly vaccinated, they have harm. So I would say full steam ahead with medical exemptions based on risks of severe allergic reaction, which cannot be predicted, as well as uh, risks of vaccination in someone who's COVID recovered, who's not a threat in the workplace. And and Dr. McCullough, we have no way to know or any knowledge, or or do we, as to why the media and the political communities don't acknowledge what we're talking about right now. Well, we do. It's been open since December, the Trusted News Initiative. 
The Trusted News Initiative, you can look it up online, Trusted News Initiative, announced by BBC, which took the lead, but all the other media, social media, everyone else signed into this. It was only going to, through all major media and relative medical societies and you name it, promote the vaccine and do everything to reduce vaccine hesitancy. That means uh, crushing any hope of early treatment, crushing anything on vaccine safety, and crushing anything that recognizes natural immunity or any, any legitimate reason not to take the vaccine. So we're in a one-way media communication street to only promote the vaccine. It's incredible. I mean, it, it's a mind bender for all of us here. Um, all right. Anne has a question. She says, please, Dr. McCullough, give your analysis of the Novavax COVID vaccine. I've been waiting for this vaccine to be available in the U.S. I've studied how it works and how it differs from the RNA tech vaccines now being offered. My conclusion is that this will be a safe vaccine. I am not anti-vax. And I do want to be vaccinated for COVID. What is your analysis of the Novavax? I agree with that conclusion. I'm not anti-vax either. In fact, I've had two vaccines this year. I traveled to India a couple of years ago. I got extra vaccines. I have no problem with vaccines. Uh, the Novavax is a protein-based vaccine. It would be the purified spike protein that's made uh, in a um, medicinal format, five micrograms. They picked the lower dose. In the published studies, New England Journal of Medicine, it was every bit as good as, as Pfizer and Moderna. And a sore arm, maybe the arm is a bit more sore than Pfizer or Moderna or J&J, but should be free of these systemic side effects, should be free of, certainly free of any genetic uh, manipulation in the human body. And I completely agree. We need to get Novavax sooner. Uh, it was supposed to be second quarter of 2021, which is now. The FDA has delayed it. And I think many uh, ought to think about just waiting if they can ride it out for Novavax. All right. Yeah. A lot of people are wondering about that Novavax. I didn't know much about it. So it's good to know here. Um, Ira says for Dr. McCullough, a question I hope you will answer on the show. What exactly does the vaccine do to the immune system or what are the most likely possibilities? Reports are that the viral load in the vaccinated is equal the unvaccinated or greater. So it would seem the vaccine does not stop infection and virus replication. And yet it also seems the vaccine prevents or greatly reduces the risk severe COVID disease, at least for a little while. If both are true, how or why can both be true? And what are the broader implications with regard to the health of the immune system for those who have been vaccinated? I can tell that is a very well-educated listener, and I would wager probably a doctor or a very senior healthcare personnel. So everything that was said there was really well-positioned. Let's start off with this. Two papers, Chow and now Li, Chow from uh, Vietnam and Li from China, have shown massive viral loads of the Delta variant in those who are vaccinated. Massive. Uh, Chow showed 251 times. Ch Li showed over 1,000 times the viral load of individuals with other variants in the unvaccinated era last year. So the discussion is, is it just Delta that can breed in the nose and mouth of the vaccinated? Or, um, uh, or is it just Delta in general is vi higher viral loads in everyone? Uh, we're gonna need to sort that out. But our CDC director has told us that uh, Americans can, vaccinated Americans can acquire the Delta and pass it to one another. We've seen that in a paper by Fahrenholt. And the concern here 
is that, you know, the older Americans in the United States, they're the ones who are vaccinated. I think we have over 75% of seniors over age 65 in America are vaccinated. And the data from these papers suggest they actually are acquiring Delta and potentially passing it to younger unvaccinated individuals. And so in a sense, we have a crisis of the vaccinated contributing the virus to the unvaccinated. Now the vaccine, what it does in the body is it raises a narrow library of antibodies to the spike protein, very narrow. And these antibodies are not sterilizing. So someone who gets the vaccine and then the virus comes into their body, the antibodies are not strong enough to zap the virus. They're not. And so we have data from the uh, CDC showing that when Americans do fall ill with COVID-19 and they've been fully vaccinated, that uh, in fact, they can uh, themselves uh, develop COVID-19 serious enough to become hospitalized or die. And I'm quoting from the CDC website, August 23rd, 2021. They have uh, now they have 11,000 hospitalized or fatal cases of uh, vaccine failures in Americans. This This isn't everybody. This is just what's been pushed forward to them from the Department of Community Health. The answer is, of those who are hospitalized, 70% were over age 65. Those who died, 87% over 65. So the vaccine doesn't stop COVID. It doesn't uh, prevent transmission. In fact, it may enhance transmission at high, higher viral loads, and vaccinated can clearly give it to the unvaccinated. Wow. Wow. It's, uh, it's incredible information uh, for folks to know. I mean, between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Uh, let me get over to Robert here. Uh, he says the Myrna vaccines cause spike protein expression on our cell surfaces. How long is spike protein expressed till cell death? Question mark. What is distribution for Myrna expression in cells? All cells in my body? Question mark. The messenger RNA is, uh, again, it's genetic code, uh, ribonucleic acid code with two analog caps on either end that are modified. They're synthetic to modified to have the messenger RNA be long lasting in the body. Normal human messenger RNA is produced It's used one time and it's dissolved. Probably normal messenger RNA lasts a few seconds in the body. We know that this synthetic messenger RNA, Pfizer, Moderna, must last in the body for some time. A paper by Ogata and colleagues from Harvard showed that there's measurable spike protein in the body for at least two weeks. And and then after the second shot, the measurable spike protein is no longer there, but it could be being expressed in cells. When we express spike protein on the surface of cells, that's very abnormal. Our cells, that spike protein is not a natural human protein. That's the protein that was genetically modified in the Wuhan virology lab. It actually, that's the spike protein that has the gain of function research changes put into it uh, in the, in the furin cleavage joint. So in a sense, you're producing a gain of function research protein with these vaccines on the cell surface. Of course, the body recognizes it as unnatural, and then the body attacks it with its own immune attack. So we create immune attack against our own cells. Now, not all the cells can take up the messenger RNA, so it must be a mosaic of cells. We know these lipid nanoparticles go up into the brain, they go into the heart, they go into the reproductive organs, they create a mosaic of uh, dumping their genetic payload in some cells, and then the body must react to that, trying to attack the spike protein. So this is what we consider a dangerous mechanism of action. If we were to draw this up on a chalkboard last summer, 
and say, should we use this in a mass vaccination of human beings? I guarantee there would be people in the room that would say, wait a minute, that sounds really dangerous, really dangerous. And before we ever consider this, we better do our homework on this because we could end up with injuring organs like the brain, the heart, reproductive organs, the immune system, or the um, uh, blood system. Uh, the, there's a paper by Kyriakalos et al. from Athens, Greece. I'm a co-author that suggests the messenger RNA may stay in there weeks to months. And in fact, cells under cell division may pass it down to daughter cells. That was part of the question. All that has to be proven, but none of it sounds good. You know, how do you remember all this is what I want to know. Well, I'm a doctor, Malcolm, so I'm <laughs> paid to do this. That's I know, but I mean, you know, you know, that's my question. I'm sure listeners are saying, wow. All right, let me get to Pat here. He said, I heard Dr. McCullough on the program. Regarding the Delta variant and the vaccinated being the higher potential of carrying and spreading. So are the vaccinated the ones more likely to be spreading the Delta to children because they are not having symptoms? more than the unvaccinated who would get Delta because they would know they are sick in quarantine? If yes, that is concerning because to me, it seems that the CDC and FDA are using the vaccinated to take out the population by unmasking them again because they don't know they are the carriers. Are you following that from Pat? Yeah, I think that's maybe the next title of a McCullough report, the Delta carriers but there is this ink building source of information suggesting the vaccinated may be carrying lethal doses of the Delta variant and dumping the, the payload onto somebody who's unvaccinated. You know, it is true that there are more sick people and more hospitalized people who are unvaccinated than vaccinated. That is true. But we have about half of Americans have taken the vaccine uh, somewhere along that uh, 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 proportion. And we have data, the hospital reporting data says it's 99% unvaccinated. Well, we know that can't be true because people don't show up with their vaccine cards. There's no way of ascertaining um, uh, uh, what proportion really have taken the vaccine. Uh, the vaccinated are told by many individuals to not admit they're vaccinated uh, because of uh, the CDC actually tells them not to even get tested if you're vaccinated. So we know there's a lot of bias that way. But there are data from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services that are publicly available that in general support the conclusion that about 70% of the caseload is unvaccinated, 30% vaccinated. But we are strongly suspicious that the vaccinated are actually carrying it and then transmitting it to unvaccinated. That probably will be completely nailed down in the wow. next few days to weeks. Wow. All right. Jack says, I love your show and the information you're sharing. I have a quick question for Dr. McCullough. My wife and I are planning a trip to Southern Florida, Key West Palm Beach. I would feel safer taking some therapeutics with us. What would you recommend and what dose and where can I get them? We are already taking vitamin D, C, zinc, uh, and a vitamin. Your advice should be greatly appreciated. The prophylaxis approaches, remember oral and nasal hygiene, which is done in Singapore and all over the world, uh, basically involves using a dilute a betadine or povidone iodine, I believe a 5% solution, swish and spit uh, twice a day, I gargle with it twice a day. It's kind of, be, it'll be kind of like a brown water when you put a couple drops of betadine in a glass of water um, and then nasal swabs or nasal spray. These are findable online. If you're allergic to iodine, then you can use a dilute hydrogen peroxide solution uh, you can even use dilute sodium hypochlorite. That's what 
Trump had mentioned uh, when he was in office. And then lastly, the least effective is using Listerine. Um, but you can use Listerine as a, a brush and gargle and spit with it. That actually helps. This oral nasal hygiene has about a 50% protective effect. Beyond that, you, there are two accepted medicinal prophylactic regimens. One is hydroxychloroquine, 200 milligrams, twice a day, one day a week. And the other one is ivermectin. Ivermectin, most common dose, 18 milligrams given uh, twice a week. And uh, the way to access that is through your doctor. I think patients ought to call their doctor, demand it from their doctor, uh, really start to educate their doctors about prophylaxis. And if denied, then move on to telemedicine services. Most popular one is myfreedoctor.com. My free doctor. Let me get that down here. Okay. And the reason is the next question, I think you probably just answered from Lucille. How can an average retired person such as myself find a source for ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine? And that is the myfreedoctor.com? That's true. But you know, the telemedicine services, and there's, I think, four national telemedicine services, myfreedoctor.com, speakwithanmd.com, americanfrontlinedoctors.com, and frontlinemds.com. They can only handle so much. There's some regional telemedicine services, but I, you know the problem is we've got about 500 doctors, including myself, trying to take care of the entire nation right now. We got a million doctors on the sidelines just watching us, and uh, we've got to engage our doctors. And so there is a list of practicing doctors. It's kept by the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, AAPS online.org. Go ahead and go to the COVID section and download the list of doctors. Uh, these are doctors who will treat COVID-19. They're also the ones that can do telemedicine for vaccine exemptions. They're in a sense, the hero doctors of the United States. It is growing by about a dozen or so doctors per week. I keep track of this, but we need to engage hundreds of thousands of doctors that are not helping patients with COVID-19 at home, either prophylactically or with acute early treatment. Okay, uh, Sandra says, I take zinc, vitamin D3, and vitamin C. I would like to know how much I can take safely every day. I'm 78, never had COVID, nor tested for it, uh, but wants to know how much is safe to take of that stuff. Okay, so safe doses for the nutraceutical package, and this was published, uh, McCullough et al., Reviews in Cardiovascular Medicine 2020, would be uh, zinc, 50 milligrams of elemental zinc a day, safe. Vitamin D3, 5,000 international units a day. Vitamin C, 3,000 milligrams a day. And then one not mentioned, Quercetin or quercetin, Q-U-R-E-C-E-T-I-N, 500 milligrams once a day in, when, uh, to, in prophylaxis, and then it's increased to twice a day in active treatment. Okay. Uh, Audria says, Dr. McCullough, I hope you will receive this and are able to help me. My friend has COVID for over three weeks. She was hospitalized for six days and received seven doses of remdesivir. Uh, she was sent home with lots of oxygen. This is, uh, this is a new email, so it's just a day or two ago. She is very weak, doesn't even feel strong enough to speak. Will ivermectin help her now? Will anything help her healing process now? The hospital told her she'd probably be out of commission for a month or more. Your advice is greatly appreciated. That's a difficult situation. Malcolm, you can attest to how, how bad people feel afterwards. Uh, the drugs that have data for extended use after COVID-19 include colchicine. Colchicine, that is a drug originally used in gout. It's an anti-inflammatory uh, in the co-corona trial that was published in Lancet, uh, uh, in respiratory diseases. That drug is continued for a month. So um, that patient ought to call their doctor, demand colchicine. The other drug, uh, the other two drugs that I've used in extended phase 
Um, again, off-label, but makes sense, is a longer prednisone uh, taper, as well as the use of the drug fluvoxamine. Fluvoxamine, there are two randomized trials showing fluvoxamine up front makes a difference. I personally have not seen uh, the extended use data for ivermectin because at that late stage, the virus is long gone. Ivermectin's main impact is on the virus and the spike protein. Mm -hmm. So we really look at things that are re related to anti-inflammation uh, uh, and this overall general kind of central nervous system exhaustion. And so there, I think uh, colchicine, fluvoxamine, and prednisone play a role. That's why early treatment is so critical, and that's why it's vital. It's life and death. Uh, we've experienced that ourselves, my wife and I, uh, with COVID for sure here. All right, so this is the last question we're going to be able to get in. I, I, I got so many more, but I just simply can't get to them in this particular broadcast. We'll come back another time and get more, but this is from Bob, and I think it's an important one because uh, we haven't addressed this yet. He says, is the Regeneron safe to get? I found out that it has spike proteins, is it safe? No, Regeneron is uh, imdimivav and carizivimab, hard to produce, I pronounce, they are a, a monoclonal antibodies directed against the spike protein. So the Regeneron product does not give the, the spike protein, it gives actually the antidote to it, it gives the monoclonal antibodies. They are safe, they, it is effective, uh, make sure that the infusion goes over an hour. The only complication I've seen in a patient of mine is when they rushed and they try to give it too fast. The patient got pretty sick and had to be hospitalized. It takes an hour and then an hour of observation. Uh, we now, we have actually seen signs up in Dallas uh, in urgent care centers around featuring the monoclonal antibodies. Age over 65, multiple medical problems, get it early. If you get it on day one, two, and three, it's like a miracle drug and like President Trump received and he can have a great outcome. It can be used up to, I believe, day 12, but at the later one goes, the lesser effect it has. So older people demand the monoclonal antibodies. Younger people presenting with severe symptoms, again, demand the monoclonal antibodies. Regeneron is the featured product. Sadly, it's only used in the outpatient realm. So I've had patients who are in the, in the ER, and then as soon as they click them over to being an inpatient, they're no long, longer given the monoclonal antibodies. We need to get rid of these ridiculous bureaucratic distinctions on when a product should be given. If doctors think the monoclonal antibody could help the patient, they should be given outpatient or inpatient. A tremendous thank you to Dr. Peter McCullough and all the work. As he said just moments ago, it really is a 1% deal. Uh, the amount uh, It's mind-bending how many in the medical community are on the sidelines and just watching all this happen. Uh, we really don't understand what's really going on, but yet so many heroes like Dr. McCullough, the frontline doctors and others, that 1% are out there really trying to save lives uh, with all the things we're doing. And I know you all out there know this, uh, because you express it in your thoughts, your comments, and your messages. And uh, so we're with you in every way that we can be here. Uh, continue to find us as a resource. We're gonna get a resource page up at America Out Loud with a lot of links and information. Many of you have been requesting. We will do that just ahead here. Uh, we will come back with another Q&A at another time here. Thank you, my fellow Americans, for listening here to The Voice of a Nation. And thank you, as always, for being on the mission. It's time to get involved and get loud.